BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. The coronavirus has killed more than 13,000 people in our state since the pandemic began. And according to a new poll out this morning, 20% of Californians know someone who's died of COVID-19. But that number is much higher in some communities. KQED's Nina Sparling explains. The poll from the California Healthcare Foundation shows Black and Latino Californians reported knowing someone who has died of COVID-19 at nearly three times the rate of white Californians. Low-income people were more likely to know someone who has died, too. Andrea Polonio is a fellow at the UC Riverside School of Medicine. She says that isn't exactly surprising. Given we know that Black and Latinx populations um, have disproportionately been diagnosed with the virus and disproportionately have died of the virus. The poll also looked at how Californians feel about shelter-in-place rules. 70% expressed support for stricter rules if it slowed the spread of COVID-19. For The California Report, I'm Nina Sparling. And as COVID-19 continues to take a disproportionate toll on Latinos, the Kern County Health Department is creating a first-of-its-kind task force to address the issue. Valley Public Radio's Mari Bolaños has more. The Latino community makes up the majority of all COVID-19 cases in Kern County, according to Public Health Director Matt Constantine. He says the task force will give the county the ability to actively combat the high case numbers. What we need to do is make everybody aware that COVID numbers are higher in our Latino populations. And so we need to do more. The Latino COVID task force is made up of at least 28 prominent Latino leaders from different industries throughout Kern County, Constantine says. The idea here is that we have several different approaches to try to change these metrics to provide better awareness and education, better testing, better access to resources for those that are affected disproportionately. Funding for these initiatives comes from the health department. The task force consists of subcommittees that will focus on specific areas within the Latino population, including job sectors, age groups, and locations. 
For the California Report, I'm Madi Bolaños. Some positive numbers in California's fight against the coronavirus. Governor Gavin Newsom says there's been a 23% decline in both COVID-19 related hospitalizations and patients admitted into ICUs in the past two weeks in the state. The statewide positivity rate also fell this week to 5%. That means of all the tests administered in the state, just over 5% came back positive. But Newsom cautioned against pandemic complacency, especially as we head into flu season. And that's why it's more important than ever to be vigilant uh, as we work through the next few months, work through this flu season, what we call this twindemic, the COVID-19 uh, now meeting flu season. The governor says California is also ramping testing back up after a fire-related slowdown. Let's turn to the weather. Much of California is going to bake over this Labor Day weekend because of a heat wave in the forecast that's expected to break records and make things feel miserable across the state. With more on how the heat wave will affect some Southern California communities, here's KPCC's Jacob Margolis. The upcoming heat wave could produce even higher temperatures than the last one, if you can even imagine that. Ryan Cattell is a meteorologist with the National Weather Service. He shared more details about what some Southern California cities can expect. Woodland Hills will be pretty close to 115 degrees for a high on Sunday. Burbank, uh, close to 110. Even downtown LA most likely will be above 100 degrees uh, over the weekend. All of this extreme heat is a major public health threat, as those without adequate air conditioning struggle to cool down. It's possible that we could see an increase in hospital admissions for heat stroke, cardiovascular, and respiratory issues. The heat also brings an increased risk of wildfires, which you should really try not to start while celebrating Labor Day. California's firefighters, and the rest of us, really need a break. For the California Report, I'm Jacob Margolis in Los Angeles. The state's power grid managers are preparing for increased demand because of the heat wave by barring utilities from any planned maintenance outages so there's enough power for customers. Although no flux alerts are currently planned, utilities are asking people to save energy. Here's Pacific Gas and Electric's Jennifer Robison. We got a great lesson in the heat wave a couple of weeks ago about the power of conservation. Everybody really stood up and conserved and helped us get through that event with minimal impact to our grid. And you can help save power by setting air conditioners so they start up at a slightly higher temperature and not using major appliances like washing machines during the day. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. 
California wants the U.S. Postal Service to roll back changes that have led to mail delays. Those changes include removing mail sorting machines and limiting employee overtime. Attorney General Javier Becerra says California is joining a group of states to file a preliminary injunction to reverse the changes while a related lawsuit moves forward. We want to make sure that the U.S. Postal Service is not violating the law, that the Trump administration isn't trying to tamper with the mail. The injunction asked the court to reinstate the status quo prior to the changes. Critics of the Postal Service's changes are concerned they could hamper the service's ability to process mail-in ballots this election year. Last week, Governor Newsom signed into law a ban on flavored tobacco sales in retail stores, which begins in January. Derek Carr, an attorney at Change Lab Solutions, a nonprofit focused on promoting health equity, says the law is a huge win for public health. We know that flavored tobacco products are a key driver of youth tobacco use, but also that flavors have been used to systematically target communities of color, lower income communities, LGBTQ communities. But the new flavored tobacco ban law was vociferously opposed by the tobacco industry, and it looks like the struggle over it continues. Secretary of State Alex Padilla's office has confirmed that opponents of the flavored tobacco ban have submitted a proposed referendum in opposition to the law. Those opponents have ties to the tobacco industry. If the referendum opposing the flavored tobacco ban qualifies for the 2022 ballot, it would suspend the law until voters weigh in. It's also another example example of an industry turning to a referendum when it doesn't get its way in the state legislature. One anti-tobacco activist called the move a, quote, despicable tobacco industry ploy. Let's turn back to the coronavirus. Most students in the dorms at California State University, Chico, have until Sunday to find a new place to live. This comes after an outbreak of the coronavirus on campus. Now one student is wondering if staying at the university for online classes is really worth it. KQED's Michelle Wiley reports. When 18-year-old Katrina McGuire moved into her dorm at CSU Chico in mid-August, she was looking forward to the traditional college experience. Her final semester of high school had been interrupted by the pandemic. She ended up finishing the school year from her home in San Francisco's Sunset District that she shares with her parents and five siblings. And it's a tight squeeze. I don't even have really a functioning desk. She was ready to have her own space. So McGuire was excited to be one of the students allowed to move into the dorms. Then, just one week after classes started, university officials announced that students needed to move out because of the outbreak. So I was a little bit like, how am I going to move, you know, by Sunday? Like, is my mom going to be able to come and get me? Like, the possibility of an apartment? In a Zoom press conference, university officials said they'd followed all the state and federal health guidelines when reopening, like limiting in-person classes and enforcing social distancing and mask rules but cases in the county were still going up. Here's CSU Chico President Gail Hutchinson. We became concerned uh, roughly seven to 10 days ago as we were watching in Butte County uh, a spike between those 18 to 24-year-olds. Students were given a week to leave the dorms. The university officials say they're working to accommodate students who need more time. Most have opted to just go back home. That includes McGuire, who says she's considering making some changes. What's the difference between, you know, Chico State Online and Community College Online? If I'm not here in person, I have the thought, like, what's the point? For now, she's focusing on carving out her own independent space in her parents' house. 
and, hopefully, getting a desk of her own. For the California Report, I'm Michelle Wiley. As we rocket toward Election Day, it's the presidential campaign that gets most of the attention. But of course, congressional races are at stake as well. And this year, challengers to House incumbents who might have little name recognition need to overcome the challenges of campaigning during a pandemic. In the Central Valley, that's the task that faces Democrat Phil Arbayo, who's trying to unseat well-known Republican incumbent and Trump loyalist Devin Nunes. I talked to Arbayo about campaigning during this time of coronavirus and social distancing, but he began by talking about why his opponent should go. He doesn't understand what it's like to be a resident in the Central Valley today. Um, maybe at one time years ago, but his priorities have changed and his priorities are Devin Nunes and Donald Trump. And it, it is a more diverse district than it's ever been before um, the 22nd uh, compared to when Devin first ran this in 2002. Remember, he's been there for 18 years. He doesn't want to work for the seat. He's hoping that just his name will be enough to get by. It's all about him, and it's not about us here in this district. I want to turn to how you're actually trying to get elected. I'm sure when you announced your candidacy, you weren't thinking about politicking during a global pandemic. So is it frustrating not being able to do all of the conventional things a candidate does to reach voters and to get your name out there, like going to fundraisers and going to community events to press the flesh? Uh, it's been tough. It's been difficult. It's been a grind, but we've been able to, you know, amass a digital presence. I think we're over 230, close to 240,000 followers and supporters on Twitter. We are, um, you know, our ads are all over uh, Facebook and Twitter as well. You know, obviously I would like to be out there and shaking those hands and kissing babies and, and doing, you know, all the things that you would think about in a traditional election. I, you know, I think for us, just like it is maybe for you know, what we have seen from Biden is just let we, we let the incumbents talk. We let them do their thing and shoot themselves in the foot. And we come in and we show we show we show leadership. Right. Yeah. But that aside, I assume doing virtual campaigning can feel kind of hollow and a poor substitute for actually being physically present at places. It's still a rush to be able to connect, you know, even though it is over a Zoom link or, or whatever we do, um, there's still an ability to connect there with the, with a personal message and a story. Yes, I can't go and shake their hands and I can't kiss their babies. I'm not being able to do that. But what we're, what we're finding is during this pandemic as well is actually do a little bit more intimate uh, Zoom calls, whether it was just a couple of neighbors who, um, you know, maybe not, maybe wouldn't come out to events. Um, in normal times, but now they're home. There's not much to do. Hey, you know what? Let's spend, let's spend 15 or 20 minutes on this Zoom call. And let's get to know the candidates. I mean, now we have, there's not much else to do. <laughs> so what's, what's 20 minutes out of a day? Again, that's Central Valley Democratic congressional candidate, Phil Arbayo. We've also asked his opponent, Devin Nunes, for an interview. Support for the California Report comes from Earth Justice a national nonprofit law organization fighting for the right to a healthy environment. Earth Justice, because the Earth needs a good lawyer. The James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. And finally this morning, he retired four years ago, but Vin Scully is back. Hi, everybody, and a very pleasant good afternoon to you. 
The iconic Dodgers announcer made his social media debut yesterday on Twitter and Instagram, where he shared this video. I'm delighted to see if I can't serve you in any way, shape, or form. We might chat about a, a famous date in baseball or a player or a team. How great is that? If you've missed hearing Vin Scully's voice or want to try and connect with a legend, now's your chance. Vin, we're glad you're back. And that is the California Report for this Thursday, September 3rd, a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in L.A. Talk to you tomorrow. Support for the California Report comes from California Earthquake Authority, a not-for-profit offering earthquake insurance to help Californians protect their financial futures. For more information, visit EarthquakeAuthority.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. And Hint, fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors, no sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Hint, water with a touch of true fruit flavor. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.